Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us during our family Bible study in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been looking at various sections of the Gospel of Matthew, looked at an overview, but today I'm going to do something a little bit different because kind of a special topic within our study. I'm going to go right to the end of the Gospel of Matthew to the very last verse found in Matthew chapter 28, and this is from verse 20. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. I'm titling this episode, Jesus Near Us. And I would like to speak to parents and pastors and youth leaders and deacons and scoutmasters, anybody involved in the spiritual formation and education of children and teenagers and young adults, (laughs) I guess, and uh, yes, adults too. If there is a solution to reaching folks that sense God is distant in their lives, it's probably not going to come through a multi-million dollar project. It's probably not going to come through some kind of um, fancy organization or expensive project. It's probably going to come in somewhat of an unexpected way through the power of the Holy Spirit that can't be manipulated. It's just going to come from God, and when it comes, you'll know it. What brought this to my mind this week, the need for Jesus being near us, when Jesus, the last thing in this gospel, lo, I am with you always to the close of the age, and if you're listening to my voice right now, Do you sense Jesus is near you in your life? Do you have an abiding sense that, yes, Christ is with us and he's a vital part of your life and life directions? And what brought this to mind, this is why we fast-forwarded to the end of the Gospel of Matthew today, first of all, is due to something going on in Ashbury University. You may have heard of what's going on. There are uh, YouTube videos, scores of them, uh, on the internet as far as what's going on in Ashbury. Uh, Tucker Carlson had the president, uh, student body president of Ashbury on. Uh, And then there is a, a movie coming out that's opening tomorrow. By the time you hear this broadcast, it'll probably be already out of theaters, but I'm sure it'll be available in streaming. It was entitled The Jesus Revolution, and I'd like to kind of couple these things together. But in case you haven't heard, uh, on February 3rd, Asbury University was having their regular 50-minute chapel service. And chapel service seemed to be going as it normally went, and when it ended, it didn't end. It went on for two weeks. Students, day and night. I'm talking about all night. I believe it started with a young man just standing up in front of everyone in a very silent uh, setting and confessing 
some sins and he wasn't really living for Christ. This is a Christian setting and it kind of triggered things. They're singing, they're praying, they're repenting. And it's very interesting that people of all ages from all around the United States and foreign countries have traveled to this little or modest-sized university in Kentucky. And why is that? The best explanation I heard was from a student who described that even though as a Christian, very often it seems like heaven is kind of far away from us. He says it's like the distance or the veil between ourselves and Christ in heaven is thick. And he says, what is happening in this revival at Ashbury University, now it seems it's gotten very thin. And the presence of God, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you say, well, this isn't a Catholic university. Well, you know what? Jesus shows up where he wants to go. And I'm going to be bringing this home to Catholics in a few minutes. And every revival is going to have a certain amount of messiness. Every revival is going to have people who want to take a genuine work of God and then kind of hijack it for some agenda they may or may not have. But we don't want to just write these things off because only 40% of 18 to 19-year-old Catholics believe it's possible to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. They don't even know it's possible, 40%. That means 40% of young Catholics, the distance between themselves and heaven is very thick. In fact, it's the opposite. Lo, I am not with you always. <laughs> In other words, there's no personal attachment to Christ, no awareness of his presence. And how do you explain people from traveling all over the country? Uh, student, and by the way, this kind of prayer, praise, revival going on in Ashbury has now spread to some other Christian campuses. People flew in from other countries as well. And it says to me that people are very hungry for having a sense of the presence of God. Now, I said I want to bring this together as well because there's a movie coming out tomorrow. And again, this will probably be out of the theaters by the time you hear this broadcast. But it's entitled The Jesus Revolution. And The Jesus Revolution movie takes the title for the film from a Time magazine in June 1971. I remember sometime during 1970 or 71, Time Magazine, I forgot, might have even been the late 60s, had a cover that God is dead. And uh, the secularist just pretty much had buried Jesus. And then he very surprisingly resurrected in a Jesus movement or Jesus revolution out in the West Coast, out in California. I had had a very unexpected uh, remarkable young adult conversion to Christ. I was uh, lost in the fog of sin, rebellion, and pursuing religion through the New Age, not thinking there is a, a 
spit to Christianity. And I had gotten a hold of a little booklet that uh, it was back then a penny booklet that somebody had either thrown away on the deck of our ship or had dropped. But in any case, I picked it up, I read the scriptures, and I prayed the prayer to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And lo and behold, for me, the distance between heaven and my life was very, 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 very thick. And all of a sudden, it got very thin. I didn't know what to do, and my shipmates knew something had certainly happened. And I corresponded with the people who actually published that little penny Bible, and I sent them 5 or $10 and asked for a box of them. And in the chow line, I started handing out these Bible tracts to my shipmates. Now, I didn't know any theology. I couldn't really tell you the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, I didn't really have any words with what happened to me. I didn't know born again. I didn't know conversion experience. I really know, knew very little. I couldn't find any church home. Um, basically, I was going to mainline Protestant churches and not finding very much at all to satisfy my hunger and thirst for new, know more about this Jesus who had become very thin in, in, in my life. And so here I was working away in the deck office of the USS Coronado, and a friend stuck his face in the door of our office and held up that Time magazine of June 1971. And he goes, hey, Wood, look at this. And the cover of Time magazine says the Jesus Revolution. I didn't know where to go, where to turn, or anything else. And so he took off running knew I'd be very interested in this, and I had to chase him around the ship, and finally he quit teasing me, and we sat down and started looking through this, and we'd look at the faces of some of the young people out in California. Well, that's probably a fake. No, this is a real thing. Look at their eyes. Look at their expressions. They, they have really connected with Jesus. So I got out of the Navy, and I went to that church, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California, and that's what this movie is all about. It was very much a part of my life. I ended up very quickly uh, taking over their children's ministry, worked with their junior high. And you're going to see, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen plenty. This was in Life magazine back in the day, Time magazine. It was national news, what was going on. There were baptisms with, uh, you know, at times a few hundred people, new converts, uh, being baptized. And this isn't once a year baptism. This was all the time baptisms in Corona del Mar down in the beach uh, near Newport Beach, California. And you'll see pictures of these massive baptisms uh, in the Pacific Ocean. And then you'll see pictures the uh, of raising hands and stuff like that. And people think that that's kind of all that was to it. But Pastor Chuck Smith um, did two things. Uh, he welcomed those who, our whole society, not just the church, not just fellow pastors, but our whole society regarded as irredeemable. And God started touching hippies' lives and uh, musicians' lives, and the young people flocked to this little church. Um, they started building a much larger church, but in the meantime, they had to put up a circus tent. So you can imagine uh, what my family thought that, you know, I came home from the Navy all enthused about Jesus all of a sudden and then take off for California to a church meeting in a circus tent. Well, 
what Pastor Smith was doing was extensive Bible teaching. On Sunday nights, he would go through, and this was like an hour, hour and 15-minute instruction, go through the whole Bible every two years. And several nights a week, there were Bible studies to actually root this. It wasn't just in an emotional experience. Now, were some of the things lacking? Yes. I mean, uh, Calvary Chapel, besides being known for the Jesus movement, was also one of the centers of the rapture at any moment theory. And you may or may not know that I do an entire companion broadcast, Luke 21, <laughs> showing the errors of that. It was almost totally lacking a sacramental life. But I'll tell you something. People whose lives were so thick between themselves and God— they were so thick that many ministers and missionaries and cultural observers thought it, it's just too thick. It's actually impossible that God could break through that, and he did. And the, and the serious thing, I have actually, before these two events uh, occurred, the movie and the Ashbury Revival, I've been going back and listening to some testimonies that people who I either encountered or knew of quite well during my time in the Jesus movement out in California. For instance, uh, Annie Herring, wonderful musician from the second chapter of Acts. She was raised in a very uh, faithful Catholic family, nine children, went to Mass very regularly. Uh, parents tried to obey church teaching and all. But even still, she had this thickness between herself and God. Even though she was going to church, she never connected. And so to seek connection, she took off, went to San Francisco, got totally lost in the counterculture, and then found Christ in a big way. And I think to myself, now why can't that happen within the Catholic Church? Because what I encountered, and it I consider it a genuine revival with messiness, because all revivals have messiness. In fact, one of my seminary professors, Dr. J.I. Packer, who's much loved by Presbyterians, which I became before I became a, a Catholic, Presbyterians love to say, let everything be done in decently and in order. And Dr. Packer said, yes, you can take that to a degree, but then remember, the only place in our country where everything is perfectly decently and in order is a graveyard. Because where there's life, there's going to be a certain amount of messiness, and it might be not something you actually planned for, financed, or can control. And it's something that goes on. And I know uh, my dad had passed away a couple of years before this, and my uncle was going on a cruise with my mom just to try to— uh, just be a good friend to my mom. And so they were leaving out of the port of Los Angeles and they had Sunday morning free. And my mom told me when I picked them up, I was taking them to their ship. Um, you know, your uncle, he, he doesn't want to go to church. Uh-huh. Okay. And I'm not like this, but I just thought they are never going to believe me of what's going on in this circus tent. So we went in the circus tent. They were expecting some screaming evangelist and rather man, rather calmly, just teaching right out of the Bible. And then capping off the service, you had a couple thousand, particularly, especially young people singing a cappella, the Lord's Prayer. 
And uh, we left that tent with both my mother and my uncle bawling, bawling. And they were just struck because uh, they probably in their whole life has, hadn't been in a situation where it was thin again, kind of what the students at Ashbury have gone through. So, you know, we can look at this, and I know there's people going to criticize the Jesus Revolution movie. I, as again, I don't even know if the movie is accurate. I know people are already criticizing the Ashbury revival with the students. But before we just talk down about everything and say, oh, well, they're Protestants, it's not Catholic, don't we have anything to learn? Can't we learn from others? Can't we learn maybe what God is doing, even though we maybe rather have it closer to us? And I mentioned in a few broadcasts ago something. To me, it was astonishing that Fuller Seminary, Evangelical Seminary, did a study of youth. They're very concerned because the majority, majority of Catholic and Protestant youth, when they hit the late teens and young adult years, leave the faith, and most don't come back. So they wanted to find out what is keeping them, and they actually missed one of the key components because they 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 interviewed all types of kids, but particularly they went in and did church kids with intact families, mom and dad present, raised in the church, all the benefits of a church life, and yet they found they had two primary questions. The first question was, does God exist? I don't know if you can hear that question. There's Catholic kids saying the same thing. They have gone through the whole process. The process, you have to connect with Jesus, whatever the process is. And here kids have gone through the Protestant process and are saying, does God exist? And then the follow-up question was, does God love me? Those things are so fundamental. This is, this is like without these questions, answered in a vital way, there is no Christianity, believe me, and particularly in our day with a cultural breakdown. And so when you look at the polls and the Catholic situation is even more serious than the evangelical situation, that so many Catholics don't even believe a personal relationship with God is possible. It's thick, it's distant, it's, it's not there, and it needs to come close. And so before we just say, oh, we don't, we don't need this stuff, we do need this stuff, I'm going to refer you again to something. I should have kept count. I'm, I'm at least up to 12 or 14 times I've mentioned this on Faith and Family. So you can say, Steve either is getting senile. It's probably true, but it's not why I'm repeating it. I think this is the target. You need a target. And you can spend a lot of money and education and do a lot of things. You can homeschool and practice a lot of things. But listen to this. This is from St. John Paul II on catechesis in our time. And he says this, catechetical practice must allow for the fact that the initial evangelization has often, often not taken place. A certain number of children, in other words, he's being nice, a large number of children, baptized in infancy 
come for catechesis in the parish without receiving any other initiation into the faith and still without any explicit personal attachment to Jesus Christ. I was listening to testimonies from leaders and spouses of leaders from the Jesus movement, and some of these people had nothing but positive things to say about their families, their Catholic families, their Catholic upbringing. They know about the saints, the the sacraments, uh, initiated in the church and everything else, but they missed that initial step. And so they went to the Jesus movement to find the initial step. But see, something is needed. And this is what I did in seminary. My, my real passion was, okay, you need the fire of renewal or revival, but you also need the fireplace because fire uncontrolled just burns things down and it fizzles. So you need a place to keep the fire within the fireplace, and that's the structure, so to speak, and took me quite a while, but I believe that best structure for the fire is the Catholic faith. But the Catholic faith also needs fire in it, and I'm just putting in a paraphrase what John Paul II is saying, but you know, he says they have the capacity to believe by baptism and the presence of the Holy Spirit But catechesis must often concern itself not only with nourishing and teaching the faith, and this is what we do and do well in many cases, but also arousing it unceasingly with the help of grace, with opening the heart, with converting and with preparing total adherence to Jesus Christ on the part of those who are still on the threshold of faith. And see what happened to these Catholics who became in love with Jesus through the Jesus Revolution, there's no reason why they couldn't have or shouldn't have gotten that, but we skip this first step. And this is so important. This is like skipping the foundation and building a home. Good luck. And wonder, why why isn't holding it together? Why are young people leaving? And here's, here's, here's the point. You are not going to have to require classes to force feed them catechism and Catholic truth if you get them personally attached to Christ, this initial evangelization, which St. John Paul II is talking about. If that happens, everything else will happen. If this doesn't happen, nothing else that happens, it's just going to be thick. And you don't want to have a thick relationship to God in the 2020s. This decade is too rough too anti-Catholic, too anti-Christian faith for without a vibrant personal attachment to Christ. And that's the job. And so you want to think outside the box. Basically, you just get your children, first of all, get yourself close to Jesus Christ. Make sure your relationship to Jesus is thin. There's no place better literally in the world for that thin, close, transparent relationship with Christ than receiving the Blessed Eucharist. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But can't you take, I'm talking to priests here, 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, and somehow connect this for those who want to connect with God and not realizing, particularly a lot of young people are sitting there and like, does God exist? Yes, ask him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. 
And then once that starts, it, it goes like a flame. Now, just so you know, I'm not pulling something out of thin air. Here's Pope Benedict XVI. He said, Christian faith is not a matter of believing certain things are true, and that's traditional education and catechesis, but above all, a personal relationship with Christ. It is an encounter with the Son of God. That's what happened in Ashbury. This is what happened in the Jesus Revolution. It was an encounter with the Son of God. Now, you know, so often when a young person or an older person has this encounter with Christ outside of the circles of Catholic Church, well, they think, well, he's not in the Catholic Church and he's over here. No, it's just that it sprung up. God wants to be close to us. Lo, I am with you always, not distant, not far away, not just abstract intellectual. No, I want to have a personal encounter with you. That's the last words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. And St. Uh, he's not saint yet, but he will be probably. Pope Benedict said, you can have a tangible contact with Jesus. Put out your hand, so to speak, upon his signs of his passion. It is in the sacraments that he draws particularly near to us and gives himself to us. Do we have any kind of faith-filled uh, uh, expectation and being praying Lord, pour out your love, particularly pour out your love with our young people. If you hire somebody to work with youth, I mean, their big qualification is simply, is Jesus close? Do they know in their life what Matthew 28, 20 means? If picking a scout leader for your child or anything else, a school even yourself, mom and dad, this is the key. It's not just doing stuff. It's being close to Jesus and allowing him to be close to you. This Easter vigil, there's a prayer that I'm praying very regularly. I don't, I think it's so important. It's a prayer for the Holy Spirit, and that's how God comes to us. Oh God, stir up in your church a spirit of adoption, so that renewed in body and mind, we may render you undivided service. And it's okay if things get a little messy temporarily. And if you don't believe me, look at St. Augustine's City of God, just the last few pages when there's some pretty dramatic healings going on. Whoa. Uh, you would think, that's St. That's Augustine? That's St. Augustine. Take a look at it. Start praying. Start expecting. And uh, God wants to be near all of us. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.